0: Today's podcast is being brought to you by one of my very, very favorite platforms called Kajabi. If you're looking for a platform to host a website, to capture leads, to convert leads, to do a simple sales funnel or a lead page, Kajabi houses all of that stuff under one roof. One of the things that you will love, it removes all barriers of using technology. It can help you soar your business online and scale your business. It is absolutely the easiest platform I've ever built on on the back end. And for the user experience, it is amazing. And it is so easy to use for an exclusive rate. And to get a free trial, go to my link, angelaprofit.com slash Kajabi, K-A-J-A-B-I. Hi, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode. of Business Unveiled. And today we are going to be talking with Tracy Matthews. She is the chief visionary officer, which I absolutely love, love, love this. And her company is Flourish and Thrive Academy and creatives rule the world. And like, I just think of that Beyonce song, like you using like, you know, how who runs the world? Girls, creatives run the world. (laughs) Like I can just like imagine this fun music video with like lots of powerful women. Um, But we're going to be talking about thriving by design today. And so I think right now is probably the most appropriate time all year, just because let's take a step back and take a pulse check on like how we're all thriving. Because some people I talk to, they're like, I'm doing great. I've pivoted. Um, we have found a new way to connect with people and then other people, they have been really depressed. Like, let's just be honest people. And so we're going to talk about thriving. So welcome to the show, Tracy. Thank you for being here.
1: Well, it's so great to be here, Angela. And I love talking about Thrive by Design as well. On top of creatives rolling the world. And I have a podcast called Thrive by Design too, for that specific reason, because, you know, with... Years like this, I mean, I feel like everyone just feels like they've been hit with like a ton of bricks (laughs) in a million different ways. And it's it's a requirement that we've all had to be resourceful and, yeah, you know, pick ourselves up. Yes.
0: Did you start, did you name your podcast Thrive by Design because of a certain situation or was that just something that you've always had, like since you've been um, since you started your company? Well,
1: the podcast has been around for four years, I think. Or okay. Five I kind of forgot. We're, we're at about 265 episodes. That's amazing. Doctor. Yeah. 265th episode. And I, I don't know how we came up with the name, you know, my company flourish and thrive Academy. It would have maybe made sense to call it the flourish and thrive Academy podcast, but I wanted to be able to reach a bigger audience because, um, at that time we were only working with jewelry designers. And I was working with our copywriter at the time and we were brainstorming names and I came up with something and then she's, she like retweaked it and she's like thrive by design. And I'm like, that's pretty good. And the funny part is that about a year ago, my cousin emailed me cause he's, he is a life coach now and sort of like a family therapist, but he's moving more into life coaching to help people live uh-huh. authentic lives. And he was searching, researching names for podcasts cause he wanted to call his podcast thrive by design. Isn't that funny? Uh-uh. <laughs> no way. Yeah. I, like, I could not believe it. I show up and we have a lot of cousins. So it's not like it's a close cousin. Or he's a close cousin. I'm close with their family. That's the wrong way. Yeah. But it's not like my cousin, I have like fifty-five cousins, first cousins. Oh my god. And so I have a really big family. And so for him to like actually just like Google that and then to see that it's his cousin's podcast was kind of weird. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. But it kind of like gives me chills, like not in a creepy way, like, oh my God, that's <laughs> kind of cool. Um, and then how did you name, like, I always like to ask people, like, how did you come up with the names for your business and your programs and all that? So like how, uh, which to me, it's like creatives rule the world. Like, that's like
1: the best
0: phrase ever. So how did you arrive in that one?
1: <laughs> that one? Well, that one is awesome. I was at a Brandon Bouchard event. I guess it was. Oh, about- I love him a year and a half to two years ago. I can't exactly remember. It was in February though. So it must've been a year and a half or two and a half years ago. And he was asking us like to write down some big goal, big hairy goal that we had that seemed like preposterous. And I said that I wanted to have a Ted talk with 20 million views. And then later I went to look to find out that Simon Sinek's Ted talk has 20 million views. I'm like, reach for the stars, girl. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, in that conversation, the people that we were like workshopping with in the group, they're like, also, oh, what do you want to do this?" I'm like, I believe that creativity is like your biggest asset in business. And creatives are often taught to think that they're bad at business. And I don't believe it. I think that creatives rule the world. And it just like came out of my mouth and mm-hmm. someone stopped me. They're like, that's the name. That's it. And I was like, I was playing with it and I was like, I played around with creatives run the world, creatives rule the world, creatives rule, but I kind of like creatives rule the world the best. So Uh, I love it. Yeah.
0: Cause you're not like completely shoving yourself like into a box where it's like, you're only talking about jewelry designers or you're only talking about interior designers or wedding designers. Like there's all Mm. types of creatives. And so It like piques the interest of people, I'm sure. So it's like, ooh, tell me more. Um, And then tell us more about this academy. Like what drove you and gave you the inspiration to call the academy Flourish and Thrive, which I know every woman wants to do, but like, how do you come up with a name like that?
1: So we, you know, we were thinking about it. I co-founded my company with my friend, Robin Kramer, and Gosh, it's been 8 years. I can't believe how long like where does the time <laughs> go? It's crazy. So I've I've been in the jewelry industry forever and I started my first company back in the 90s and built it to a very successful business. You know, we were doing is a bridge bit, bridge demi fine price point so we were and we were selling like thousands of units a month. So we were doing really well, but it got to a certain point that like what I did to get to a certain point wasn't what I needed to do to get to the next point and so on and so forth. So I kept like reinventing the wheel and doing all these things. And as my business was growing, you know, I was like patching up some holes, which I'm sure you talked to your audience about this too. Mm -hmm. And 2008 happened (laughs) and basically my business kind of was taken out in the great recession and I had to make a choice whether or not to like restructure and put all this work in and fight for something that i wasn't super passionate about anymore or start over so i launched um a new jewelry company right after i closed my first company in 2009 and it was a different business model but the way that i i built that company was really i started backwards i started thinking about like what do i want my life to look like what do i want my day to look like how do i want my freedom to look like what kind of money do I want to be making and so I I started with that which most people don't and built a business model around it and so I switched I pivoted because I was selling to stores all around the world and I had to hustle at these trade shows all the time and like you know basically keep up with the Joneses in a way and it was exhausting and I kind of lost my passion for that and I still loved making jewelry I just wanted to do it in a different way so I started designing fine jewelry and working with private clients. And I uh, was able to completely reduce my overhead. I could work from anywhere and my siblings were having children at the time. So I wanted to be able to be in California or New York or New Jersey or wherever one of them was to be able to stay for a week and visit. And, um, and I was able to like really grow this very successful, but small and mighty, mind you, business with this backward kind of business model Uh, framing, I guess is the best way to put it. And people started reaching out, you know, I'd been really well known in the industry for a while Yeah. and people were, had been following me and they're like, you know, what did you do? How'd you change? Like, can you mentor me? Like all these things were starting to come like just emails nonstop into my inbox. Wow. So I started doing some consulting with a few Mm -hmm. companies and I realized, you know, a lot of times startup designers, they ask exactly the same questions over and over again. And I'm creative and I get very bored and I'm like, I don't want to keep answering the same questions over and over again. Why don't I just create a, a course or a program that could teach them everything that they needed to do to get to hit the first milestone in business and then everything that they need to do to hit that second milestone in business. So that's how Flourish and Thrive Academy was started. It was really uh, to fill a need in the jewelry industry to answer all the questions that I had <laughs> when I was starting out, but also help people set a strong foundation that can scale over time. So that's how the company was founded. And originally we were playing around with names to get back to your original question, um, like Diamond in the Rough Academy. And my co-founder Robin was like, well, what if we wanna work with like handbag people later? What if we wanna work with um, clothing designers or other kinds of products? And I was like, well, yeah, maybe, but probably not. But sure, we we don't have to do something so jewelry specific. And then we just started working with other brands maybe two years ago. <laughs> so it didn't really matter. But at the end yeah. of the day, um, it was an evolution. So we we thought of words that, like outcome words that we wanted people to feel, I guess, is how we figured it out. We went through some naming so, exercise. Yeah.
0: How did you, um, because I know that you was your, your first business in the jewelry space and like, did you grow up around that or how, like, take us back to even before the jewelry designing phase, like, what did you, like, did your mom do that? Did your family do that? Like, how did you get there to know that like, I want to work in and be a jewelry designer? Like, how does one do that? I think it's so cool.
1: (laughs) Well, well, as a kid, I was creative. Um and like many little girls, like I loved jewelry and looking in my mom's jewelry box. I feel like like a lot of the designers I mentor, that's like in their bio. Like, I love playing in my mom's jewelry box. So I did Aww. love that. Um and you know, I, I remember more specifically actually like drawing wedding dresses for my Barbies <laughs> or for dolls. I love it. <laughs> I was like five and six. I don't know why that memory is so vivid. And as I kept, you know, growing up, um, and when I was in high school, I went to, I was dating this guy and he was walking me. We were just like newly dating is my boyfriend in high school. He was walking me to my art class. He drops me off at the door and he's like, art classes are for stupid people. And he like basically bailed. And I was like, what? I looked at him and I was like, you realize you're dropping me off at a painting class right now. Oh my And so gosh. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think he meant any harm by it, but he was kind of like playing around with like the art, the art geeks or whatever. And like saying like, and he was a, a science and math nerd and super smart. And I was like, well, I don't want to be stupid. I want to be smart. So I started to ditch art for a minute, took a biology class, um, got okay. an A plus. Like, I remember at the end of the semester, my, my biology teacher calling me, his name is Mr. Gear. I happened to answer the phone. I'm like, hello. He's like, can I talk to your parent, your, to Tracy's parents? And I was like, who the heck is this?
0: Right. <laughs> say Why? <laughs>
1: He's like, Mr. Gear, And I was like, no, they're not home. They're not home. Did I fail the class? <laughs> and oh my gosh. it turns out he's like, well, I was calling because she got an A And I was like, oh, well, I'll definitely let them know that you called. Thank you. And I was wow. freaking out. So I honestly think that the reason I got an A plus in that class is because I had artistic talent and I was good at drawing. Because in biology, a lot of the work that you do beyond learning the science behind how things work together is actually drawing specimens. So, I had this natural creative oh. talent for drawing and stuff like that, so, when I went to college i didn't have a stupid person in my background like barking in my ear telling me the art classes are for stupid cl- people. I took a major where I could take art classes as an elective, and that's how I got into jewelry design because my mom had passed away um, I was restructuring my major, and i couldn't be a full time fine arts major because I had to work full time and I needed to graduate in two years. That was the only way that I could um complete school, like after the time that she she passed away. And mm-hmm. so I found this major. It was a random major called European studies. And I got to take art classes and spend time. And I found this jewelry making class. And my teacher was like, you have natural talent for this. You should consider this as a career. So I was like, wow. okay.
0: <laughs> and then like, and then, so how did you find your business partner? Like, okay, like I'm going to do this jewelry business. Like so were the, you all friends, but you said you were friends before, and then you're like, okay, let's do a jewelry business together.
1: So that was different because um, my jewelry company was my own, but I did meet Robin gotcha. in the jewelry industry. So I started in 98 and I think I met Robin in 2000, maybe 2006 or 2007. We were in opposite booths at a trade show and she had just started working for a company called Dogyard Jewels and Gifts. And she came on as their director of sales. I knew Merlin, the, one of the owners, for many, many years, because we had a booth across from each other. And he's like, you got to meet Robin, blah, 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 blah. She came over to my booth and gave me like all these merchandising tips on like ways that I could display the product better so that the people walking by would see it better in the booth. How sweet. And we became, That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, we became fast friends. And so we just stayed in touch over the years, you know, from doing markets and everything together and trade shows. And when I had the idea to launch Flourish and Thrive Academy... She had been consulting. She'd left dog-eared because her dad was really sick and she needed more flexibility in his schedule so that she could be around him and spend time with her family. And so I, we were sitting in a jazz club. Uh, I was drinking, <laughs> like, a glass, we were drinking a glass of wine and watching a cousin play jazz. And I was like, Rob, I have this idea. Let me run it by you. And she was like, I totally want to be involved. And so she came on as a co-founder And she's still involved with Flourish and Thrive Academy today, but she, we actually parted ways a a few years ago, Mm -hmm. um, in a full-time relationship because, um, she really wanted to move into mentoring people with wholesale opportunities. And I really wanted to move into a direction of mentoring people really more with digital marketing and online Mm -hmm. sales and e-commerce. So we made a, like, basically a conscious uncoupling as you will. (laughs) And we still support each other. She still mentors our community and, um, you know, I'm super excited when people go to work with her because she's actually a really amazing coach. So if anyone wants to sell products wholesale and you're wondering how to do it, like Robin's the best, you should go find her. Her company is awesome. Red Boot Consulting. Yeah. She's amazing. Got it. Yeah. So, so it, was, it was just to answer your question in a short way, it was just like this random like conversation we had at a jazz club that turned into a business.
0: <laughs> that But usually that's how most of these things happen. I know, right? I mean, it's so funny. So I love part of your title is like protector of creativity. So like, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, you know, after being an entrepreneur for so long, I realized, and you know, you teach people how to be productive, which is very Mm -hmm. similar to protecting your creativity, different, but similar. Okay. I realized that as a CEO of a company or the chief visionary officer, whatever you want to call yourself, you're required to shift gears, especially when you have a small company and you don't have a shield around you like to protect you. And this all, this concept was really developed back in when I was in San Francisco. So before I'd moved to New York, um, probably in 2005 or 2006, I had this, um, epic office space. And I was so excited to move from our 200 square foot office to a 1500 square foot office. And we had an open floor plan. It was like the during the tech boom and all this stuff. And we're in like a cool hit place in San Francisco. And I loved it because we had this really great culture at the company, but I developed this culture where anyone can interrupt me at any given time of the day. And I felt like the only time I could get work done was if I stayed after everyone left or if I came in early and I'm like, that's no way to like Mm -hmm. really have a life or to grow a business. And so I had to start figuring out ways that I could like protect my time and protect my energy and shield myself from like all these people asking me questions all the time. And so I started, like unbeknownst to me, like really putting some semblance of structure in my week, in my days and boundaries around my team and my time, so that I could spend like my most productive time doing the most the best work that I could with the things that mattered the most. So, you know, for instance, being a visionary uh, requires you to spend and being the CEO of a company requires you to spend a lot of time working on strategy. And sometimes it's really hard to fit in strategy in a one hour window between meetings. Right. And so I started taking, um, (laughs) right.
0: (laughs) No way. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Like I need a whole day or a week. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) So this brings me to my next point. So I started doing these things like where I pick one day a week and it's Wednesdays for me now where I would, um, nothing would be on my day. My team knows no interruptions. They're not allowed to ask me questions. I mean, sometimes they do and I'll answer them, but like, I'm really like try to be off Slack, off messaging. And this is Mm -hmm. my time to be strategic or work on bigger projects or be creative because sometimes that thinking time, I think that anyone who's listening, who's ever been sat down and started working on something and they're like trying to squeeze something in between like meetings or, or uh, agendas or appointments or making dinner or picking your kids up from school, whatever it might be. Like the best idea comes like two minutes before you have to shift gears
0: mm-hmm. and you don't really
1: have time to let that idea flourish um, or really think it out. And so then you stop and then oftentimes you lose it. If it wasn't well documented. And, or when you come back to it, you're kind of like, what was this again? Like, I forgot. And it's not that all the ideas you come up with are going to be like the most game changing, but the ideas that you foster during that time are things that can be built on or collaborated on or turned into something that actually could change everything. And I can, if I, I can really pinpoint like some of the best ideas or the best uh, models that I've ever created for any of my businesses, cause I'm a business for now that would, that has all come from this creative time and being this protector of my creativity and energy. And it's, it's not easy to do because it's easy, especially if you're a people pleaser and I'm a people pleaser,
0: especially Mm -hmm. if you're a
1: people pleaser, because you want to make everyone happy and you want to be able to be responsive. And also if you have a more anxious type of personality where you're on top of things all the time and like need answers right away, like you can sometimes self-sabotage yourself by um, not taking a moment to chill. You know what I mean? So yep. it's, it's important. And I think that the more people learn how to protect their creativity, the more successful they're going to be, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they're working for other people, et cetera. And so I don't only do this for myself, but I actually teach my team how to do this. And I also teach our students how to do this because I think it's really important. And there's a lot of ways that you can protect your creativity. One of the ways is creative days. And I like, uh, talking about that. Cause it's something that most people can be baffled by because they're just like, "Wait, well, you take a whole day out of the week to do nothing <laughs> except think I'm like, yep. Well,
0: and it's like, like we, we call them GSD days, like get yeah. shit done, Yeah, but it's like, you have to. And, so, but I love that. Like to protect that time. Like I just call it straight out time blocking, you know, like block your time Mm -hmm. um, and which helps like create, you know, the boundaries and all that. And it's much harder to do it than actually do it and then live by it. Um, But also what I have found too is like, we'll block some days and it's like, okay, it's time to create content and copy. And I'm like, I'm just not in the mood today.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Right.
0: You know, it's like, Uh, I mean, even recently, I'm like, well, I'm really tired. I was up all night dealing with my niece who her boyfriend was like trying to sneak into my mother's home and like broke her screen and like the alarms went off. And, you know, my mom is too old to be dealing with that kind of bullshit. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I kind of want to strangle my little niece. And, I'm like, creativity can like, your mood can shift. It's not like you can just jump into it and like come up with all this stuff like you can. But I have found that sometimes when it's, uh, I'm in the shower or I'm like driving down the road or, you know, it's like, oh, okay. It's not something that like you can just turn on and turn off. Um, But I love like time blocking time to actually think. And like, be creative. Yep. And usually those would be my favorite days. But when I get eight hours of sleep the night before, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I want you like need to be what you wouldn't like stand up a client and you, like you would get a good night's sleep before the client. So like, why would you do it to yourself and like do it to your own business? And so I, I love that. And then it starts from the top down. So if you do it, then your team will be conditioned to do it as well. Mm -hmm. So do they all, do you all do it together uh, each of the days or do you like divide and conquer?
1: No, I let them set their own schedule because I can't, I don't know when they're going to be most productive. And then also some of them that, you know, they work at odd hours because they're, they have kids or, you know, like our um, customer service manager, Quay. She also has a jewelry company. She actually, she was one of our scholarship winners. I love her. Her business is like killing it right now. Yay. And she, she's been with us for years, but she, she won the scholarship, then applied for a position with us, grew her business at the same time and wasn't even telling us. We were just like, Oh, is quite, does quite still have our business. And one year we were just talking to her. She's like, yeah, my business is up like 50% or hundred percent this year. I was like, what? What? And she, like, why don't we, we need to like interview you for a testimonial girl, but she like, she has odd hours. Cause she has a, like kids and a family and school schedule. So she works at odd times. So I can't, everyone's kind of got their own schedule and working, working on different time zones. So I don't require them to like set the days the same as mine, but I do yeah. encourage them to have the, the space in their, their calendar. And to also same thing, time block, most productive hours for the most productive work kind of stuff so that they were getting the right things done. Like nothing drives me bonkers than like having meetings like in the morning for me. I'm like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. No, can't do. And since COVID has happened, I've been, I, I, usually live in New York city, but I moved to Arizona for five months because my boyfriend lives there and we're, we, I thought I was going to be there for six weeks and it ended up being five months. And oh I happen to be back in New York city right now, but it was it threw everything off because now my East coast time schedule turned into a West coast time schedule and everything's yeah. happening earlier in the day. And I'm like, oh, I don't like these meetings in the morning. Like, what am I going to do? So uh-huh. <laughs> it's been interesting. You know, you really have to adjust based on when you're most productive. Because if you're a night person or a morning person, you want to protect that time for you to get the best stuff done.
0: Yeah, totally. Like I'm not a super early morning morning person either. Like, I. I feel like I get started when people are going to bed, Um, but it's like I've been adjusting to try to get on more of like a schedule, but then it's like, oh, everything's good for two months. Yeah, and then like something like COVID happens. It's like, well, screw that. That's all out the window. I know. Um, Just laugh. I just completely laugh, so I totally know what you mean. Um, So you say that all people are creative, even if they don't think they are. And I have some team members that, and we're very different. And we all do like a psychology methodology to understand like how our brains are wired and what do we like best doing. And I like to put people in those positions based on that. Um, I mean, we all do shit we don't want to do sometimes, but generally people are most happy when they're in the space that makes them happiest. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like a couple of my like data driven, analytical, operational people, they're like, we aren't creative. We don't do design. We don't, we, they don't do anything creative. So if they listen to this, they're going to be like, well, how am I creative? Mm-hmm. So I know that, that those people, like they don't think they are, but what is an example or a story about that?
1: that is a great, that's a perfect example, actually. So this, this idea uh, that everyone's creative, I mean, it's, it's the truth. So it's not a, an idea, actually, it's the truth, but I was sitting in New uh, New York city. I just moved here. My friends are dating this guy. His name's art and he is in finance. So he's like, Tracy, I'd be happy to kind of look over your numbers and help you with some business modeling and budgeting and projections if you'd like. And I was like, awesome. Let's do it. He's like, well, let me come down to your office because he's an analyst. So he does this all day, um, Mm -hmm. all day, every day for what he does, um, in finance. So he comes in, he like asks me a few questions. I give him some of my like uh, financial reports. He's like, all right, I'll, um, let me check out your office. So he's walking around and he said something to me. He's like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. I am not creative at all. I don't understand how you Mm. can even like put something together. And I, I was like, okay, you know what? I didn't even think twice about it. But a couple days later, he emailed me this like crazy business modeling spreadsheet. And I was just like, what the heck? Like you punch in a number one place, it spits out something elsewhere. Like, I'm like, this is so creative. Like I would never have been able to think about how to do this. And I think there's a, a distinction between artistic ability and creativity. They're different. Uh, creative people are yeah. can be artists, but just because you're not an artist doesn't mean that you're not creative. Because doing something like that takes, like uses the right side of your brain to figure out how all the things are hooked up. I mean, there's a lot of right brain activity that's considered more creative that uh, analytical people use. And so I would call this type of person, the architect, because uh, those analytical people that you're talking about on your team, they're really good at building systems, spreadsheets, like the things Mm -hmm. that um, keep a business like structured, like my boyfriend, Jason Ayers is like incredible at this, like he's, he's also a visionary too, but he's kind of like this weird hybrid of visionary integrator. Like he can see big picture, but also understand how all the pieces of the puzzle hook together. Like most people's brains don't work like that. They either are like a big picture person or they, they're the granular people. It's not both. And so that's really fascinating. And that's when you start to realize like, okay, well, many of us have more than one creative type. We might have like, two creative types, like, like I'm a visionary and an artist. So those are kind of like the creative types that I, I play in. Cause I do like have a strength for design and all those things, but also like, I really have a, a gift for big picture vision and like seeing the future. And, um, it's amazing to me that not all creative people, especially artists don't have that. Like, so when you think about it, like everyone expresses their creativity in a different way. And, Mm -hmm. but everyone has like a creative zone of genius. It's just different for everyone.
0: It That's so true though. Mm -hmm. But like, I feel like we're raised like in school or something where people like type us, you know, and it's like, oh, "Oh, you are this way and you're this way (laughs) and you're this way. And then you go through life thinking these things. So it's fun to like backtrack out of it and say, no, actually this is very creative. It's just in your own Way, but like as a designer, um, until I understood the power of numbers and data and like why I needed that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would have been like, oh my gosh, that job is so boring, and now I'm like, oh my god, that's the most important thing ever <laughs> because without that, like, we wouldn't know where the hell we're going, exactly. um, yeah, and it's just it gives you such clarity when, when you know what is important. Um, so you said that some, some of the best things like came out of those creative days and you said they were game changers. Like, can you share with us like some of the things that came out of those days where you're like, Oh my God, I started another company and like built a whole company around that one day.
1: Well, Creators of the World came out of a a day like that because I started sitting with this idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, that I figured out in this Brendan Bouchard work, workshop and that, and there it is, you know, here we are, you know, I started uh, developing a signature talk and developing a book. I think say the most like tangible thing that I can like, that's most, the most recent is really the methodology in which we teach everything through at Flourish and Thrive Academy. And I'm writing a book. I actually started writing the book last year. We put it on pause, which I'm so glad we did because it's evolved so much since then. Um, And it's called the desire brand effect and the desire brand effect is really like our methodology or the methodology that I created that that I've used. uh, I gosh, for like 25 years to build successful businesses. Um, It's catered primarily to product based businesses, but it really works for anyone because everyone's got like the same functions in their business. And it's just a frame to really think about, okay, so now I've gotten here. And I've gotten this um, baseline of, you know, creating desire for my brand or getting like the traffic and the eyeballs on my work, sharing desire for my business, which is really getting the sales and conversions and getting people to buy from you again. And that scaling desire piece where you're getting people to, um, or you're developing the systems and automation in the back end to support everything that you've done. So it can scale without you actually have to, having to physically do extra work. And then all that stuff, it just like continues to layer and layer and layer on top of each other. And so the reason why it's really powerful is because even though I was doing this for so long, I didn't have like a really solid way to communicate it. And so I think when you can really sit down and think about what you do and what you offer as a business, if if, um, you're a business owner or what you, um, and you can sit down and think about that. Anyone can create sort of like their method or their way of doing things, which I think is really powerful. And I'm sure you have something along these lines too. So that's been really fun. And then also another thing that came out of creative days was the idea of the creativity types. Like I was sitting there, um, probably prematurely working on my creatives rule the world book (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. um, sitting down trying to write it. And I feel, I realized I, I was in a little bit of a premature phase for doing this. However, it moved me in a totally different direction because originally I was going to be writing this book about how to protect your creative energy, which the book is about. But when I really started diving deeper and uncovering the layers, I realized that there's all these different ways to be creative or ways to think about yourself in the terms of being a creative thinker because everyone is creative, like I said earlier. And so I developed all these creative archetypes. And so that came out of a creative day as well, which is really powerful. I'm super excited about this.
0: When do you think it'll come out? <laughs> the that book? You put it on hold.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm trying to get my, I want to get a quiz up in by the fall. I don't know for sure if it's going to happen because we have some um, more important priorities as a business right now. However, yeah, um, if I can swing it as a little side project, I will. The book, Um, I think, you know, honestly, I plan to have it like worked out and pitched it this year to publishers. But COVID happened and I just realized, you know, this is not the time. Like it didn't feel right. So I just put it on hold. And like, I'm not much of a procrastinator or someone who likes to put things off. I'm more of the person who pushes too many things through and then they only get halfway done. So I was really proud of myself for doing this (laughs) because I do think that this is, um, it's like an important body of work for me. Um, so I'm excited Mm -hmm. about it. So my hope is that we complete the desire brand effect book. Um, we're on track to have it done by the fall or early winter. Once that's done, once that's to market, we market that, and then I work on my book proposal in the spring for this, and get it out hopefully next year.
0: That is awesome. Do you, are you going to go and do well? Depending on COVID, do you see yourself doing a book tour?
1: I would love to. You know, I'm an extrovert, like an extreme extrovert, and I love being uh-huh. around people. I think the hardest thing for me about COVID is not going to conferences, to book openings, and stuff like that. So I'd really like to, um, because to me, that's like, it's so fun to celebrate with your friends, like yeah, the, the work that you've created or the work that they've created. So, um, I hope to do that. I don't know for sure though, because I guess it would depend on like restrictions, et cetera.
0: Right. I'm yeah. assuming
1: though, that if my book does get picked up by a publisher, if it, if yeah. it doesn't, I'll just self publish it. I don't care. Um, I'm not super attached to that, but if it does get pick, yeah. picked up by a publisher, you know, there will be a specific time frame, and I'll also have to market it. So, um, that will require probably events. And by that time, because their timelines are pushed out further, hopefully people will be able to get together again.
0: Gosh, I hope so. Right? Where, where you all live, are people starting to get together and do like small things again?
1: Well, I've been in Arizona for five months. And I'm in New York city right now, but I've only been here for two weeks and I'm here for one more week and I'm heading back. So I would say that here, but do people York-
0: act different like from in air? Cause I know New York I heard was like really bad cause the cases were so high, but then do they act, um, less panicky like in Arizona?
1: A hundred percent. So <laughs> the weird thing, <laughs> I kept telling my friends because, like, when I told them I was coming, I was like, "I'm coming to town." They're like, "Oh, oh, I don't know if I want to see you." Like, one friend was like, "I think, like, I'm worried about dying, so I'm not going to see you." Like, maybe we could just do a phone call. And I was like, "Perfect, that's fine." Wow. Whatever someone's comfortable comfort level is, then people started realizing, like, "Oh, well, she's only here for two weeks or three weeks, so maybe I will try."
0: To right.
1: Um, and I didn't want to like impose on anyone's. I got tested and everything, and I didn't want to impose on anyone's. Like comfort level, because obviously that's important. However, like there's so many things that you can do outside here in New York because it's the summertime that it wasn't really a big deal. Like they have socially distanced outdoor dining, and you know, people are wearing masks at at the tables and stuff like that. So it's not so freaked out. We did a comedy show in the park, and everyone was socially distanced. So I definitely feel like in New York, people are way more panicked and worried. And I notice a market difference and me being in Arizona during this whole time and my anxiety level about it. Cause I'm certain that if I had been in New York, like I would think I was gonna die too because like that's the messaging that they're getting here. But in Arizona, it, it was like much more chill because there's more space. Uh, my boyfriend has a bigger house, so it's not super cramped. It's not on top of someone else. There's like open space without houses on top of each other. You can go outside and take a walk and things opened up more quickly there including restaurants and stuff. And so it just didn't feel the same. I mean, it definitely felt like we were in lockdown, but once things yeah. started, up, it didn't feel the same. It was definitely different.
0: It's, it's just, yeah, it's so crazy. It's like I'm in Nashville and they'll open things up and then they'll close them back down. I mean, literally three times. I mean, for six weeks, we've gone in, I don't know if New York or Arizona, did y'all do phases?
1: New York is in a lot of phases. Like not everything's opened up here yet. Like you can't Mm. get uh, facials yet or salon treatments, like that kind of stuff. You can get your hair done, but like not random, like certain things. It's weird. It's like, it seems a little bit arbitrary, but yeah. um, Arizona opened up in phases, but they were much quicker. You know, the numbers, the cases were rising a lot in Arizona. So I think people were really worried. Like I was getting messages from my friend, like, are you worried? And I was like, I sit inside a house with, like, two other people all day. We don't do anything. i right. like, no, I'm not worried. Right. Like, we work gloves at the store, and we put masks on, and then we're back at home. Like, we don't go out. So it's, I wasn't that worried. But I can understand why people would be. It's, it's I mean, scary times. Like, I know personally people in my network who passed away and gotten very sick, and it's sad. It's yeah. like the weirdest of times. It's like...
0: It, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. So do you still actually design jewelry or do you focus more on just mentoring other um, creatives?
1: I definitely still design jewelry. Okay. And it's taken a little bit more of a backseat, especially this year. Cause the, I mean, production was closed down and since I designed one of a kind work, I don't keep inventory. And so it's hard to make jewelry if your jeweler is not working and you can't get stones
0: Um,
1: i do have a couple of projects that i'm working on right now though so the answer is yes i don't do it at the same capacity as i did before because as a creative being like what i'm inspired by has shifted a little bit and so while i still Mm -hmm. love designing jewelry it's not like the thing that i'm most the most excited about like what i'm the most excited about is writing these two books i'd rather focus on that than
0: that's awesome. Yeah. So when you do, though, um, like, do you go? Do you normally pre-COVID, <laughs> do you travel to like all these countries to like um, collect like different stones and beads and like? Do you love to do that, or would you rather like sit down and shop online, or do you like to touch it and feel it and see it?
1: Um, it depends on what I'm sourcing. Uh, these days, a lot is accessible online. In the mm-hmm. early days, I definitely did travel. I mean, I even went to India one time to do sourcing and stuff like that. And oh, that's amazing. That? It's super fun. What's India like? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I highly recommend. It's not for the faint of heart, but I highly recommend that every human who's adventurous go there at least once. <laughs> it's probably not like, for people who like don't like to travel because it's mm-hmm. hard. It's not an easy place to go. At least yeah. when I went, I went in 2004. So it's it quite a while ago, but it, okay. it, you know, and I'm sure so much as that's 16 years ago. So I'm sure so much has evolved since then mm-hmm. in far of like, as far as infrastructure goes and stuff like that. But the the thing that I remember most about that time was like the, the people they're like the most amazing friendly people, but also it's disheartening. Cause there's like a lot of books that document this, but there's a huge like poverty trade. That's almost like prostitution, like a poverty, basically like the poverty version of a prostitution ring okay. where they force people into like poverty for their life. And hopefully mm-hmm. there's been a lot of reform and stuff with that since I've been there. But I definitely did see that. Like people who were, you could tell were um, intentionally dismembered so that they can roll on around on a skateboard without arms and legs. I mean, it was terrible to see. Oh and a lot gosh. of people with their eyes poked out that were just begging what? on the street. Like weird stuff like that. And so that's terrible to see, but it's also gives you some perspective about the world. Like the United States is relatively safe compared to places like that. And like, we have a lot of opportunity here. And so, uh, yeah. So, but also like, it's such a, um, random place to be because there's so, so much polarization there. And what I mean by that is like, you could be one place and you're like feeling so peaceful and like, in the yoga vibe. And then you're in another place and it's like hard city and like, you know, you're in another place and it's like very, um, commercial and stuff like that. So there's like so many, you go like different places in India and it's like a totally different vibe. It's a really rich, like, and when I say rich, not, not necessarily wealthy, rich, but like just rich yeah. culture and country. So it's, it's very interesting. And I love Indian culture. I think it's like the coolest thing ever. So For me, I loved it. I don't know if everyone, like, if you're not adventurous, it might be a hard trip for you, but I think it's a cool place to go. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. So when you were, um, when you went more into, like, the jewelry designing, more working with, like, private clients, were they asking you to do, like, very specific things? Like, do you have, like, a favorite um, piece to make, or, like, are you if someone came to you and I don't know if this is like a dream client or a nightmare mm-hmm. client where they're like, Oh, you just choose. I need to get some gifts. Like, do you have people to do that to you? Like, here's some money, like just do whatever you think kind of thing. <laughs> or do they give you an idea and you like, or, or they just want you to do it?
1: So yes and no. <laughs> the, I design my main offering is uh, engagement rings and wedding bands. And then I also, yes, they're beautiful thank you. I this other vertical that, that is heirloom redesign. So those are like the two main offerings, but I do have people come to me. I have this one client who is a friend of my friends. I met him at a wedding or met him and his wife at the wedding. And his wife's like, honey, you need to get to know her because she's going to be designing all my gifts. And he is very successful. (laughs) And I love working with him because he would just be like, I need to get my wife something for Christmas or anniversary or whatever. He's Uh like, he was the easiest person. I would draw like five things and source like a couple things. He's like that or that. I don't really care. I'm like, do you have a budget? Nope. Whatever you want. <laughs> I love that. Right. So like sometimes it'd be like $10,000, you know, just for gifts, you know? Yeah. Or more, yeah. you know, it's like he, working with someone like that is really fun. Um, yeah. At the best case scenario is someone with a, like a nice budget. Like he had who gives mm-hmm. a, just a tiny bit more direction. Not design direction, but just like can focus it. Like, hey, I want to get my wife a pair of, you know, a, an earring and a necklace set or something like that. And then
0: mm-hmm. gives
1: me like a cup like a, a slight direction and then I can run with it. It's sometimes harder to design things just like out of nowhere. Um mm-hmm. if you aren't really sure like what to do. But I got to know them well enough that it wasn't a big deal. My favorite thing to really design though are the engagement rings and wedding bands because I love being a part yeah. of like story, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and like, I was looking at some of your work and like some of your videos and every single thing that I see is so custom and like, but it matches. And so like, I see people getting, um, kind of like obsessed with like what you do because it's like, oh my God, they want to pass it down, you yeah. know, like to mm-hmm. their kids and generations. Totally. And like, it's an heirloom and because everything is so unique and like, I'm sure people get so many compliments. Like, oh my gosh, your ring is beautiful Mm -hmm.
1: because they're so
0: unique. Um, it's just, everything is, uh, is gorgeous. And so like, I was just wondering, do you, um, do you do a lot of like, uh, bridesmaids gifts if, if they, if, you end up doing the ring as well or like earrings or necklaces or anything like that?
1: I That was my original business model back in the day. Really? In the, early, in the late 90s. I used to do a ton of bridesmaids jewelry. Um, I don't do much bridesmaids jewelry these days, primarily because of the price point. So back in the day in the 90s, that was my original business model. Like I was doing mostly bridal parties and designing jewelry for them. Nowadays, not as much because of the price point. Because most people aren't buying like thousands of dollars worth of jewelry for their bridesmaids. And so it, be, it can become a little cost prohibitive. If they have like one and they're getting a special piece, then sometimes they have done it.
0: Yeah. The, well, that's what um, I was working with a tech company, but they wanted to, um, it, and it was actually like a very cute idea. They like wanted to do this giveaway. And, um, they had this, and I don't know if you would think like this is cool or like this is really bad to do. I don't know. I want to get your opinion, but like, (laughs) um, they had these big, beautiful, like rock gems and basically you like shattered, you shattered them. And then like, it would be like each, you know, if you had 10 bridesmaids, which in the South, my gosh, that's what people do and um like each of them would have a piece of that stone and like the only way that you could ever fit that stone back together is if all 10 girls were together and like they put their necklace um together and so i'm like that's a really cute idea but then from a designer perspective with um different jewelers is some of the jewelry People that um, the the girl that had the idea talked to, and they were like, "Oh no, I would never do that. I would never like crush up a gem or a stone like that." And I'm like, "I clearly don't know this industry like at all." Um, well, and I
1: think the, oh, sorry, like,
0: <laughs> is that bad? Is that bad to do?
1: I think the reason why they're probably saying that is because if you find a piece of rough, which is what they're doing, is they're taking like a big piece of rough and mm-hmm. smashing it. Like, if there's like Quality material in there, you wouldn't want to jam- ma- smash it up. You'd want to use the whole piece because if you're getting a piece of stone that's that big, yeah, like it would be, it would you wouldn't cut it up that way. And so, and also, like, want like you to find a piece of rough that big for 10 bridesmaids, like, it's not, yeah, quite frankly, probably not that possible, right? And then you might shatter it, and then you might, like, basically busted into smithereens so that that could be one reason the other thing is that literally you're working on a custom project um, Mm -hmm. for every single piece because the stone setting can't be uh, standardized and so it's, it's a pain so unless it was like a wire wrap necklace or something with like an open form prong setting where it was just like a bunch like you it could open up like a star and then you like wrap the claws around the piece it might be a little bit more like difficult to make something like that. So it could be for any of those reasons.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I just, I mean, I didn't ask a bunch of questions. It was just like, <laughs> okay, we should, we probably shouldn't do that. They, you know, know what they're doing. Um, so I have one last question for yeah. you from just a business perspective. How did you get into the e-commerce space? Did you take, um, did you learn it because you needed to with your business? business or you wanted to teach other people how to do it, or it's just like, you feel like as a business owner, you need to know about digital marketing. Cause like, I keep getting these questions from people like, how much do they really need to know about digital marketing and e-commerce? And, you know, I mean, my, my views are kind of skewed. It's like, it depends on what you're doing, but how did you, um, really become awesome at it?
1: So my company is built around a team. I'm not someone who knows everything about everything. So I'm just going to put that out there. So I started learning e-commerce back in the like 2006, seven, eight and nine, like before it was like really a big thing. And I can't tell you that my skills were super sharp back then. However, selling online is started becoming more and more important at that point in time. So it was always a viable business model. When I started my new company, uh, selling direct to consumer, doing this custom work, while it wasn't an e-commerce brand, I met the majority of my clients on the internet. So I knew the power of using your website as a sales tool and how important that is for exposure as a brand, especially when the market's evolving. Because in 2008, um, when everything crashed, like the wholesale market took a tank. And what we're experiencing now with COVID and shutdowns and um, the economy kind of like being the, in the cyclical wave. Like this, the markets are strong. However, commodities are up, which means that the, the dollar is weakening and then people are out of work. So, depending on who you talk to, some people are fine because they're still working their jobs, they're just working remote. Other people mm-hmm. are out of jobs. And when there's lack of confidence, um, like gold, like commodities markets, like gold and silver and stuff start to go up uh, because that's what it feels like a safer investment for people than actually investing in uh, the dollar, like having like a tangible resource. And so with that being said, um, during that time in 2008, like the way that the people that survived were the ones who weren't highly leveraged in wholesale. They had a more direct to consumer base. And so I realized that as I was moving forward as a business owner, that the more you were able to reach your customers directly without having to meet them in person or go to a trade show or fight for the wholesale counter space or whatever it might be the more like the more strength your business would have because in in a time like this like think about it like all these stores were closed for weeks and some of them are still like trying to recover they lost all that revenue in new york city you're walking down the street and so many of the businesses are closed like and they might never reopen because being out of revenue for that long and having to still be committed to a lease and stuff like that can be devastating. And so that's like a long answer to kind of like how I got into it. But like now more than ever, like anyone, especially in particular with a product based business, but any business in general needs to have a strong website that is used as a sales tool for driving Mm -hmm. revenue in the company. And so, um, with that over the past two years, um, I'm like, our, I basically just started thinking, okay, so how long was the re- the economy strong before 2008 happened, before the previous recession or dip in our economy? And it wasn't even that long. It was maybe like 7 years if you consider 9/11 and then mm-hmm. um, other, you know, downturns that we had during that time or the tech boom or tech bomb, I should say. Yeah. And so I could tell we were going to h- experience some sort of correction cuz econ- economies have cycles. They're not always in a boom state. They go up and down over time. And so the one thing I knew that people who were really diving hardcore into wholesale and not diversifying their revenue streams were going to get hit hard. Plus, people's mm-hmm. buying habits have changed. And so about two years ago, I started talking about this. We started developing, we developed, we developed a program around it. Um at that point it was called SOS. We just rebranded, it's called Momentum Now to teach uh, jewelry and creative brands how to uh, leverage the power of e-commerce and selling online and using their website as a tool, regardless of their business model. If they're selling a product, there's many ways to use your website um, to reach their customers directly. And also to leverage all your other sales channels too, because your website is powerful. And so that's like really how it started. And so I just, I personally started consuming everything. I was mentoring people on how to do it. I love digital marketing and I love strategy. And uh, thinking about how you can use like all the different layers of things that you can do for digital marketing and back that up with advertising and uh, content, et cetera. And so while the methodology like evolves with the coming times, like one thing's for sure, like if you don't have a sales channel where you can meet your customers directly and it's through the internet, like I think now more than ever is like the wake up call that people are having, that like they mm-hmm. have to have it. Because the companies yep. that listened, like the companies in our community that listened to me and really started building this, they've been fine. Um, some of them have taken like a slight, like, you know, step back in the revenue because maybe they lost some of their shows. But the ones who kept pushing the wholesale and blowing off the online sales because it seemed harder are the ones that are really mm-hmm. suffering. They're the ones you see online, like having a panic attack, saying like, please buy my stuff, you know, because they're worried about yeah. keeping their doors open. And so, um, my hope is that everyone who is listening to this podcast feels comfortable just like putting themselves out there. And so Mm -hmm. no, you don't necessarily have to have e-commerce or some digital marketing strategy, but I I would tell you that your business is going to be much stronger if you figure out how to get it to work for you.
0: Yeah. And I think like in March when, um, I mean, literally over in in two days, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, all this is gone. And then all of a sudden it's like people are coming out of the woodworks who um, own brick and mortars and they have women's fashion, jewelry, shoes, hats. And I mean, they relied on tourism 100% and they are flipping out. And I'm just like, guys, I'm happy to help you, but like, get in line. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, and like, this doesn't happen overnight. Like we need to sit down. We need to do a strategy. Like we like literally whiteboard out the customer experience, which takes a week or so probably. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 we don't need to do all that. Like we just, just get that Shopify shopping cart up there. And I'm like, oh my God, it is not that easy. Like you don't understand (laughs) Um, yeah, think, and so,
1: oh,
0: oh my go God, ahead, oh, just like trying to get people to understand, like it's so much more than mm-hmm. I'm. Like, first off, do you have any of your shit photographed? Yeah, <laughs> that's not on your cell phone so let's just start there. (laughs) And you know, and so it's like, they don't even think about these things. They just think like, I want to put up a website on e-commerce because I'm not making money. And I don't know when my store is going to open back up. So like my whole thing is like, don't wait until another recession or another tragedy. Um, because yet, like you said, a lot of these places will never recover. They'll never open back up. So and
1: like, Oh, yeah. let's go ahead. So I was gonna say there was a store that we were in and when we were in some Valley. We went to go visit my family briefly, social distance, all safe and everything. But yeah, um, and we were in the store and it was like the best store. And like it was owned by like an older couple, and the man was like a little standoffish when we first came in. He's like, like I my I pulled my mask down to like itch my mouth or something. He's like, you need <laughs> to put that mask back on. I was like, all right, buddy, like chill out, you know, whatever. Right. And um, we bought a bunch of stuff and we're like, you know this stuff is so great. Do you have a website? They're like, no, you're like, they, they honestly said like, if we couldn't have opened up the store, if we weren't able to open up the store by this weekend, we didn't know if we were going to reopen ever. Cause we just didn't know if we could make it. And they're like the learning curve for them because they're a little bit older to get the the site up feels really huge. And I'm like, do it. You have like great product. The store has to live on. And that's like the thing that people don't understand is you can use it as a multi-revenue stream strategy if you're doing it right.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Did you give them your card and say, please contact me to help you? Like, I can help you. I did. Like, like, seriously. I mean, it's like when you're just out out randomly shopping, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, if you'll just hang with me and learn a little bit, like you don't need to know everything, but you've got to follow a process. Like, that's the most important thing. There has to be a process and a strategy to all of this. So I could like talk to you forever forever about digital, like e-commerce stuff. Oh my God. Um, but I do want you to tell everybody you have um a free visionary, like protect your energy type of download. And so we'll put it in the show notes, but I want you to tell everybody what that is because I think it's awesome.
1: Awesome. It's called the visionary code, and you can grab it over at creativesworldtheworldcom forward slash VC. And it's just an audio download and it's basically five really constructive things that you can do to protect your creativity. You can listen to it every day if you want to. And it's a way to create structure in your day, protect your energy, be more creative and use that to make more money because at the end of the day, the reason why you're protecting your creativity is so that you're like in that zone of being able to like be financially like awesome.
0: Yeah. And stable. Yeah, All of it. (laughs) Like, I know a lot of people right now, they're like stable. What's that? And I'm like, well, if you have an online business, (laughs) you know, like there is some stability there. Like, yeah, sales went down for one month, but like then people realize like, oh my God, I need help. So this is awesome. Well, we will put everything in the show notes because there's lots of great things. You guys, there's flourish thriveacademy.com there's creatives rule the world.com there's tracymatthews.com so there's lots of ways that people can go and connect and like see all the awesome stuff and then I also know that they can uh sign up for the wait list for the book right yes and at desirebrandeffect.com desire and then do you have like one favorite social platform that people can reach out on I know you have all the the uh All the handles, but usually I feel like people have like one
1: favorite. Instagram, find me on Instagram at Tracy Matthews NY.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much for your time today. This is awesome and super insightful. And everyone that's listening, thank you so, so much for your time. And I know you got lots of nuggets and lots of takeaways. You might want to go back and take some notes if you're driving, because I know a lot of people listening are driving back and forth. Make sure that you take the time, y'all, to reflect and implement on some of this stuff because. If you don't create time to be creative and if you don't protect that time, you're never going to thrive by design. So I hope everybody has a great day and I will talk to you all next week. Be sure to tune in for another episode of Business Unveiled. Have a great day. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders one thing that would really really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in apple podcast spotify stitcher or wherever you tune in and listen to business unveiled You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights and I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.